Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fuel for Football podcast. I am your host, Sanchez Bailey. I work as a sports psychologist alongside Fuel for Football. And during this podcast, what we want to do is really add value to you. So you've seen the posts, and I know you like the posts. We want to kind of bring a bit more conversation to life. So a lot of the things that we see in the football world, whether it be on the weekend or whether it be in the midweek, we want to kind of use those examples on a weekly basis to then turn them into lessons. So a lot of the stuff that you're used to, and that's something that we're going to do over the coming weeks. We want your involvement. We want your interaction, so please do stay in touch with us. I am joined today by the Fuel for Football director on the mobile, actually, um, Jolon Levine. So he's with us here today, and he's someone that's had great experience in the football league, you know, and he, you know, had, takes pride in, you know, being an analytical man in the sport. You know, he runs a lot of the Fuel for Football posts as well, and you know, he's going to add some great value from now and throughout the podcast in time to come as well. So, Joe, are you still there? Perfect. All right. Welcome to the show as well. And so we've done a few pilots as well, just to try and perfect the craft. And hopefully you guys will be beneficiaries to our sharpening the skills. And so one of the things we talk about is some of the things that's gone on in football recently. And so, you know, the transfer window was going, a lot of players were made signings, um, a lot of players wanting to go, wasn't able to go. A lot of players also stirred up a little bit of tension, i.e. Koshi only. I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'll try and not be so biased when I speak. And so there's a lot of information here um, that we'll talk about that has been like an effect of the transfer window as well. So for an example, we had a few debutants that done well over the weekend. We had a few people that really was in good form. And one of the things that I picked up over the weekend is a topic that we'll talk about today, and that's persistence. You know, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on today. But just to summarise, you know, we had Man United yesterday having a great victory over Chelsea at home. We had Arsenal do well, um, getting an away win for once. You know, you had Liverpool who started the weekend off very well. And you had a, one or two shot results in terms of, I think, who, who had a shot result? I don't really remember who had a shot result. Don't know if you know, Joe, off the top of your head. But well, I guess Man United Chelsea was a shock result, essentially. Yeah, in some ways, in some ways, I'd probably go for Man United Chelsea. Yeah, I didn't no expect that. Really expecting a big thumping like that, yeah. Which is great to see, you know, the managers being able to select youth on both ends, and you're able to see from a Man United perspective the benefits of having young, enthusiastic players in the front lines. And so let's just start off straight with persistence. And so there's a lot of things that happened over the weekend, and we're going to talk about that. So one of those is Raheem Sterling. So he had... He scored a hat-trick on the weekend. But if you watched the game very closely, he could have easily not had a hat-trick and it could have easily been a game where it could have been one of those games where Sterling just didn't you know, produce in some ways. For me, in my opinion, I think he's the best player in the Premier League at the moment. But there's no coincidence as to why he is the best player in the Premier League, in my opinion. Because he puts on a lot of work, he's quite persistent, you know, he's always having chances and giving himself the best ability to have chances. And so um, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with the game, but there was a goal that was disallowed when he broke through the lines. He was like a millimetre offside and broke through to Jesus. Right after that, I think that was 2-0. The opposing team, West Ham, actually had a chance to make it 2-1. Great save, double save furthermore by Edison. But that could have easily changed the mood of maybe Raheem, you know, when he was doing positive things and it just didn't go his way. I think there was another incident as well, which could have easily led to a little bit more frustration. Um, let's go by the Sergio Aguero penalty. He had two goals at this time, and he wanted to get the hat-trick. Aguero missed the first penalty. You know, Sterling asked and requested, look, let me take the second one. Aguero was not, he's not having it. 
He did score, however, that could have been a frustrating factor for Sterling because that was towards the, you know, the latter parts of the second half where he could have just accepted that he wasn't going to get a hat-trick in that game. And what did he do? You know, hopefully we've got some footage that we can show you, maybe on um, Instagram, where you will see he's breaking the lines. He's continu continuously making movements and strides to get himself in positions which will allow him to break through the defence and get a shot on goal. And that's what he kept doing. And what was most impressive is that he kept on doing that right up until stoppage time. He scored the last goal, which was his hat-trick goal, in stoppage time, which meant that even though he wanted to score a hat-trick midway through the second half, he was still persistent in his pursuit to get that third goal and he did it at probably the last few minutes of the game. You know, and so that's a great lesson in itself for athletes and the whole purpose of this podcast is really to give you guys some value and give, use examples that we all saw over the weekend to then implement into your game, your week. You can start your week off right and get yourself in the best positions and opportunities to do well um, for your teams. And so what can we take from Sterling's efforts that 90 minutes or when it gets to the later stages of the game, it doesn't mean that things die down. It doesn't mean that your efforts die down. It probably means that you step your efforts more. You know, you keep going at it. You keep going at the same things that have maybe brought you success in the game. Or even, as some other players will learn from, even when they're not going well for you in the game, you keep going at it. Um, I used Pucky on, on Saturday, or Friday rather, for Norwich. You started against Liverpool. Liverpool had a blistering start to the game. You know, they were f firing. And that was quite surprising because in the pilots that we have done, we looked at Liverpool and looked at their form in pre-season. And their form in pre-season usually dictates how their season goes. And although it was Norwich, no disrespect to them, they didn't have a great game against uh, Man City, but they were very spirited in their performance towards the latter stages. You know, um, they got a great test in the week. So it'll be interesting to see how it affects their next few games. They got quite a tough run in to start. But anyway, so um, it was very interesting to see how they would have responded on Friday, first game of the season at home. Expectations are high, but they had a blistering start. So credit to them. Now, on, on, um, from Norwich's perspective, they actually had a decent first half, despite them getting battered 4-0 for the first half. And the reason why I mention this is because they looked quite decent in their um, attacking display. A few saves um, earlier on and a few attacking opportunities going wide showed that Norwich is going to pose a threat for the season. And that came, a lot of that came from Pucky, the striker. And so, you know, your team gets battered 4-0 for the first half. No disrespect to, to Norwich once again. The second half, they actually, they won that half actually because they scored a goal and he scored. But if you see from the start of the game, going right until when he did score and beyond, he was plugging away. His movement was impressive. You know, it's very energetic. He wanted to get behind the lines in between the, the you know, the, the fullback and the centre backs and getting himself opportunities to score with his left or his right foot. You know, and so that's one of his strengths. He scored a lot of goals last season. He was their top goal scorer. And you know, you could see that he was using the same, his strengths essentially, and kept repeating that, and kept repeating that. And I have a saying that failure can't keep up with persistence. He was persistent and he got his goal. You know, hopefully you, you, you can recall that. And if not, we've got some video footage that you can see where he constantly is active in terms of trying to change his narrative. So, you know, we've got two players here who had a negative, one player had a great experience and wanted to kind of top it up and have the icing on the cake. One had a negative experience. So what we can learn from Paki is that sometimes when things don't go your way, it doesn't mean you have to stop doing what you're doing. You know, we're humans, we're made to fault, you know, we're going to make mistakes and it's accepting that mistakes are going to happen, but also accepting that success has to follow. If you're doing the right things, 
to make a change in you know your performance levels you can keep going at that and it's how can you adapt your mindset to not magnify the failures but more so magnify the opportunity you know so that's a great um, message for all the players out there is really not magnifying the mistakes because mistakes are guaranteed that's the only guarantee you have in the game but you really trying to work and create that opportunity for yourself and your teammates to have the best opportunity for success to follow you know so that's going to be a real mindset training element that you have to apply and the best way to do that is in training it's, it's important to get that habit going where mistakes are not magnified once again you're really highlighting the opportunity and repeating that opportunity you know an opportunity will come and success will come from the opportunity um, you also had Tottenham I'm an Arsenal fan so you know how I feel about Tottenham you had Tottenham on the weekend who was losing to Aston Villa and I was very happy about that if I'm honest you know and um, before you knew it I checked the scores towards the dying stages of the game I saw it was 1-0 I thought okay no problem the draw's not bad and I checked when the game was done and I saw 3-1 you know, but when, what I also did was check the stats. And so I saw 31 shots from Tottenham. Now, that already told me the story. I could already imagine how it would be Tottenham's usually a team that has lots of shots on goal, applying pressure, but sometimes don't get the goal that they need. And, you know, that's exactly the story with Tottenham here. But watching the game back, you could see that they were having opportunities and really they should have been like probably well into the lead in the first half. You had opportunities earlier on from Lucas. You had opportunities from the fullbacks who were getting into good positions. You know, you had great movement um, from Harry Kane to have opportunities, but things weren't plugging off. You know, so as a team, from a team's perspective, persistence is key. They had 31 shots on goal. Aston Villa, who scored one goal, had seven uh, opportunities at goal, right? So if you think of the law of averages, Tottenham should add about eight or nine, maybe even 10 goals. And so even as a team and things are not going your way, it's more about sticking to your philosophy. So Tottenham are very attacking. Tottenham play very decent football. It's the last time I'm saying that in my life. But, you know, they didn't give up and they didn't really fall from their philosophy. They kept at it and they were then able to, you know, um, to capitalize off that. But I also want to highlight a player in Sissoko. So if you, and I really want to use him to draw a message here. So Suzoko had a number of opportunities and one of those shots that he had actually went out for a throw-in. Now, if we was to describe Suzoko, we would say he's quite an attacking midfielder. You know, he's very positive. I think about his time at Newcastle where he was very effective going forward, scored a number of goals. And although he hasn't done that for Tottenham as of yet, that's still very much part of his game. Very energetic, getting from one side to the pitch to the next. And that is him. You know, and he came on, well, he started furthermore, but he started and he was really energetic, had a number of shots and it didn't really go well for him, you know, and towards the latter stages of the game, he actually was very influential in two of those goals. Now, off the top of my head, I think he put in a ball. I think he got an assist, actually. I don't know, Joe, Joe, who is a Tottenham fan, may correct me um, if I'm wrong. I think he got an assist. Is that right? Gosh, uh, trying to remember all the goals now, but yeah. No, I can't
and then you look at you know this past season and, and now he's, he's one of the most crucial players to that team mm. he's, uh, he's come on leaps and bounds and that I think and then anything shows persistence that he's had to come from a position where most fans wouldn't have wanted him there I, I don't know about the players but it would have been a, a difficult situation to dig, dig his way out of yeah He's stayed persistent. He kept working hard. Um, I know he was the one knocking on Maurizio Pochettino's door and asking, no, I want to stay here. I want to work and fight for this place in the team. Interesting. And where he's come to now, obviously crucial again uh, against Villa the other day, is is such a remarkable, uh, I guess, comeback. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to credit Tottenham too much. But yes, so he had his opportunity um, and he was very persistent as Joe echoed as well. And that persistence has been a trend of his if if you've got that. So he hasn't really been effective in goal scoring, but his energy and persistence has led him to still be at the club and still be someone that the manager values. You know, so it also can help you in the long term in terms of your ability to still be at a club, maybe even get yourself a contract and still be in the team. And so with, with Suzuko now, he had a chance. And when you have a chance like that, when you're losing and trying to chase the game, that could easily, as a human being, prevent you from trying to take any more shots. Or it can make you overdo it. But if you stick to your guns and stick to your principles, and that's what he did there, had a few shots that led to corners, corners led to opportunities. And I believe from that, that's when Ndombele scored his goal. Yeah, and Suzuko was very instrumental in that. And I believe... There was, I think it was Ericsson that may have got, I'm not too sure who got the assist for the second goal, but Suzoko was involved in that, if you see, you know, see the goal and watch the goal back again. And so Suzoko is a really good example, especially in a situation where Tottenham had so many shots and he w- probably had one of the most shots in that game, where persistence will, you know, will come into your favour. And it doesn't always have to come into your favour in terms of you know, stats, because he didn't score. And he may have or may not have got an assist, but his persistence then helped his team. So persistence is not only something that can be beneficial to you in terms of your performance and scoring, like Sterling and Pucky, but it can also be a selfless act where you know you really prevent and benefit your team. Think to a James Milner. I'm not going to go into that too much, but persistence is so important. Now, how can you then adopt this skill, a mental skill essentially, of being persistent, especially when failure keeps happening? Well, the first thing is that you kind of need to know your worth as a footballer. Now, in order for us to say that um, Suzoko as a player was quite persistent and he stuck to his guns, we have to know what type of profile he is as a player. So we now know that from his history and his, you know, his time in playing in the Premier League, that he's a very attacking player. He's very energetic as well, getting from one side of the pitch, as I mentioned, to the other. You know, he's someone that likes to get a shot off. He likes goals. He likes contributing to attacking opportunities. So if I was then, we just collectively just done that now, we just set a profile of a player. Now, we don't know him personally, but as you, as a player, it's important for you to know your own profile. You need to know your own, you know, um, I guess strengths, essentially, and what you bring to the team. So psychology essentially is, if I can replace that word, I would say self-awareness. It's important to know how you work. It's important to know how you are to then address how you respond to things. And so along with this podcast, we'll drop some psychological gems, but a lot of that's gonna be realizing who you are. You know, it sounds so cheesy and cringy, and I hate it to make it seem that way, but it really is understanding yourself to then help yourself. So know, know who you are, know your, your profile, know what value you bring to your team, know your strengths. And that's what you do on a, in, on a week in, week out basis, whether you are successful at it or not, those are the things that you do. 
right? Those are the things that made teams pick you up. Those have made things people rate you. Those have made, those, that's what makes you play football, your successes and your strengths. So it's important to know that. And then from there, what you do need to do is change the way that you see mistakes. Now, this, this is a whole seminar in itself, but you have to, as I mentioned a little bit earlier before, you, should, you need to change the way that you magnify mistakes, but magnify the opportunity. And if you can combine to those two key elements, that's when change can come in terms of the way that you persist. You know, that way that failure, you perceive failure. Failure is not really having a negative effect on your performance. And then persistence can't keep up with failure. So success has to follow. So it's not something that you may have to um, bear in mind every week because sometimes things may just go your way. But it's important for you to remember that and practice that and get used to that and create that habit so that when it does challenge you, you've got that in your artillery to keep persisting and changing your narrative. Joe, um, Joe do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I mean, I really like what you've touched on there, you know, the, knowing who you are, your value, what you do that made you successful to that point. Yeah. All of those points I can't reiterate enough. They're, they're things that people need to make a note of and, and actually go and do something with it as opposed to just hearing that and letting it go through one ear and out the other. I think they're all real gems that, that people can start to apply. Um, now, for me, I would even say, um, you know, because football is such a roller coaster of ups and downs and everything in between, yeah. you know, there's always up points and down points, there's always going to be a setback. These things happen, that's football. So the keys for me are having long-term lifestyle factors that help maintain the persistence and therefore the right mentality to ride out setbacks and take advantage of positive form and opportunities. So for me, those lifestyle factors really come down to just one or two categories. So the first would be discipline. It has to be built to remain persistent through the obstacles and in avoiding complacency. Now, I'll cover those in far greater details in future Instagram posts, but essentially that comes down to ambitious but achievable goal setting, uh, forming positive habits, following a strong routine, etc. etc. So probably all the key buzzwords that make your eyes light up as a sports performance psychologist, Sanchez. Pardon? Uh, I would also add, um, you know, uh, the other day, obviously, with uh, Villa making their return to the Premier League, uh, one player, Connor Hurahan, the post went up yesterday on Instagram, a really good one. Um, it was this tweet from 2014, someone, uh, a naysayer, hating on Conor Huan for putting out there that he wanted to be a Premier League footballer in the future. Right. And that was five years ago. And you don't have the persistence at that point to, to carry on with yeah. training and to put these things in place. Then obviously um, you're not going to get there. So in this case, I, I, you know, the point that I was bringing up about, uh, say, goal setting, well, Conor Huan set his goal for the future that he wanted to be a Premier League footballer. And he's gone out and done the work to get there. And the persistence then is in following a, you know, this strong routine, in following those uh, positive habits. That's what's helped him get there. And now the other key area for building that persistence is making life easy for yourself. Hmm. You know, allowing for passes least, least resistance. So that's understanding yourself and working to try and avoid creating obstacles or falling into your own pitfalls. And you touched on that pretty well actually earlier already. But I'll give an example now as well from behind the scenes, maybe not on the, on the actual pitch, but something that would happen in your training. So if you know you need to hydrate better, the difference between forming a habit of leaving a glass of water by your bed each night versus waking up and relying on yourself to remember to go and get that glass of water, you know, by 
by actually preparing beforehand, you're allowing yourself to yeah. lead the right lifestyle to remain persistent. Agreed. So once you start to let these pieces drop off, of course, when times get hard, when you're on the pitch down 1-0, trying to claw yourself back into a game, you'll give in and you'll let standards slip because that's what you're doing behind the scenes. And when you make a conscious effort to remain disciplined throughout your life, throughout your training, that bleeds into the way that you react to adversity on match day, therefore maintaining that persistence in spite of challenges. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good way of looking at it, using that water analogy. Yeah, so there you have it. You've got expert advice from a former pro as well. And essentially, persistence is very key, you know, and hopefully you'll see the trend of that throughout the rest of the season. Thank you for that, Joe. Appreciate that. Another thing that we looked at in the pilot, which I want to touch on today, is, is the art of penalties. Now, you know, if you want to know a little bit more about that, I can send you the clip. But also, we've got our oh, work on a, um, a psychological penalty program as well. And so, uh, anyway, let's just talk about that first. So last week, we had the penalty shootout, you know, for the Community Shield, and you had Man City Liverpool at it. And very interestingly, Every single penalty kick taker, except for Mo Salah, went to, you know, the opposite side of the goal. And what do I mean by that? So as a right-footed player, your strongest side for you typically, where you can get the most power, is going to the bottom left, right? And if you're a left-footed player, it'll be going to the bottom right. And I'm talking from the perspective of the, the kick taker. Now, every single player went to that side, apart from Mo Salah, you know, who could, you could say is the best player in the Prem as of last season, you know, um, contention for the Ballon d'Or. So, what, do, what does that mean, right? So, it was, if you consider the context, the penalty shootout was, you know, a pre-season game. A lot of people see pre-season as a, a period for you to get out of the cobwebs and really kind of stake your claim and, you know, get yourself into the starting 11 for the, you know, first game of the season. Now, if you consider that context, people don't want to go completely wrong. People don't want to make mistakes and people want to almost be safe in some ways, especially in a penalty shootout where you can win a trophy. You just want to just get the job over and done with in some ways. And that's no slight to any of the players. Now, with that said, most of the players would then probably prefer to go to the, the favoured shooting position. Unless you're Mo Salah, who's just full of finesse, will just want to curl it into the, to the top corner, I think he did. And um, I think Oxlade-Chamberlain actually as well put it in the top left, but still went to the favoured side. Now, you know, that's an area they can get most power and stuff like that. So this is more from the goalkeeper's perspective to kind of use context to kind of guide where you go as a goalkeeper. We had a similar situation um, against well, Man United and Chelsea, where Rashford blasted that penalty in the top left corner. Now, the thing is, Rashford openly admitted in the post-match that he likes to go towards the top corners um, because, he, you know, it's hard to save it. And it was quite clear in him scoring and the keeper having no chance. But then again, him as well, if you consider that context, consider the time of the season, you just want to score. You just want to, you know, you don't want to take any chances. You're also, what stage was it in the game? I think it might have been the first goal in that game as well. So you just want to score and kind of do things well and open the floodgates, which he did in the end. So he went to the top left. Now, you know, you have to start considering those, the context for a goalkeeper. The context is very important for a goalkeeper to consider. Now, I want to forward, fast forward to Man City's game on Saturday as well, Aguero. Now, Aguero, it's very, at that time, Man City were winning by a number of goals, right? And so, that consider that context. So it's not that important if he does miss, yeah? Um, and 
he probably wants to get off on the goal sheet. Now, I'm not going to lie, I didn't predict that he would have went there. He went to the bottom right. But if you consider the context that, you know, the team's already winning, it's probably less important for him to score. And maybe he might try and score a good looking goal rather than a goal that was a lot more safe. So he went to the bottom right, which is a bit more of a finesse type of shot. Now he missed that, right? The keeper saved that very easily. It wasn't a great penalty. And maybe that, that context may have led Fabianski to, to go that way. Or it could literally be the history. So I'm not saying one thing directly causes another. Please don't take me for that kind of guy. Now, the second penalty now, I could, I could bet a lot of money, probably all the money that I had, that he was going to go a lot more safe and he went to the bottom left. Now, at the same time, he could have been stubborn and done it again, but he wanted to score, especially when Raheem Sterling challenged him, was like, look, let me just get the, pen let me just get the hat trick. He was like, no, he, you know, he was adamant he was going to take the penalty. And so he went to the bottom left. Fabianski guessed opposite, and it's hard for you to guess as a goalkeeper, but maybe the context of him speaking to Sterling, more pressure applied on him, and if he missed this penalty again, I'm sure he wouldn't have been the penalty kick taker because he lost the, missed these last two or three. So context, what, what is the message here? It's context. As a goalkeeper, context is going to be your biggest guide in, you know, throughout the rest of the season. Now, if you do apply this, um, there is a lot more that you can be given from if you, if you get in touch with us. But if you do apply context, do let us know. It would be great to know your stories. Yeah? So if you're playing a match and you do save a penalty, all the goalkeepers watching, do let us know. We want to report that. We want to let people know that you know, what the information that we're given is adding value to you. But yes, back to it now. Context is going to be your biggest you know, teacher, especially in a situation where you're not playing in the Premier League where you can research all the strikers' penalty um, history. So if you're playing in the league where it's hard for you to research all the, you know, the strikers or the, the kick takers history, context is going to be your only guide and teacher. So it's really important for the keeper to be paying attention throughout the whole game, really. There might be incidents in the game where it might tell you where the striker um, or the penalty kick taker, sorry, may be going. It might be that he's, trying, he's about to come off. You know, there's so many things that you can get, so much information that can guide you as to where to go to save that penalty. Joe, did you have anything that you wanted to add on that one? Yeah, you picked up on some great points there. Um, I'm just going to come a little bit more from the attacking perspective, the penalty taker. Former winger, um, hence, the point hence you made that. was um, about striking to the opposite side of, of the stronger foot, the, the penalty taken foot. So hitting it across your body. Now, I just wanted to put that in a bit of context because that is by far the most efficient penalty by statistics whether or not people are aware of that. Um, but the reasoning behind that as well is because when you're hitting it across your body, you're able to get more power behind the ball. And because you're hitting it hard and low, it's much harder for the keeper to get down there and actually be able to prevent that. Yeah. So in the case of Aguero's penalty, yeah, of course, you know, he, he went against the grain as such, against what is the more natural penalty for him and the more efficient penalty in going to that bottom right corner. And yes, it's saved. And then of course he went back what would be his norm, what would be most players' norm of going back to that bottom left corner, um, hitting it across his body with that right foot. And of course, if you're a left footer, it's going to be hitting it across your body yeah. into the right corner. Um, so I just thought that was a, a really good point just to clarify. Appreciate um, that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And yeah, hopefully... Hopefully everyone got that. And just so you know, this this in my hand here is just 
purely a prop. It's definitely not no notes. And um, there's something that went on throughout the weekend as well, and there's a concept that I've been pushing. And if you do follow myself on social media, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's a concept called submax. So submax is a mentality that I've been pushing throughout the whole of last season. Um, and the submax of last season was actually Lucas Mora. Maybe if I, by me saying that, gives you an idea as to what submax is. So submax is a mentality which encourages you to maximize every opportunity that you get. Now this is broken into many dimensions. So I've worked with a, a few athletes who have been someone that was persistently on the bench. And it's, it's more about what can you do to change your narrative. Changing your narrative actually doesn't come from actually the pitch. It starts off off the pitch. And I can go into that another time. But it's then obviously performed on the pitch where you the little time that you get, you come on the pitch and you make an impact, right? So there's a few players that were sub-maxes over the weekend and the first one, the most recent one, should I say, is Daniel James. You know, he came on as a substitute, you know, to a team that was what, winning 3-0 at the time. On his debut, United debut as well, um, at the Stratford end. Tough game as well, you know, especially at a time where Chelsea don't want to concede any more goals and also at a time where they were chasing the game. So, you know, if he was persistent, no pun, he would have been able to make a difference and have a chance. And so that's what he did. United were very threatening on the counter-attack. It got to him. Great assist by Pogba, by the way, as well, who was also persistent in that game because he didn't really have a great first half. Second half, crazy. But anyway, Daniel James had an opportunity and I think he, he fainted and then he shot and scored. You know, so credit to him for coming on and making a difference. Now he's definitely, what has he done now? He's now put in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's mind that Daniel James can make an impact. You know, he's quite speedy, he's quite tricky, and he's like an old school winger, what United love. And now he's put himself in at least the mind of the coach in terms of him being able to perform at the big stage. Who else did you have? You had someone from Newcastle, um, Alan Maximum Sharp, or <laughs> Saint Maximum. <laughs> so yeah say maximum, came on against Arsenal. So when he came on, I was a little bit concerned, especially because we have a bit of a weakness at left back, no slight to Monreal. But yeah, we have a weakness there. And he was making, he put in some good balls. And so with um, him, he made a great impact coming on as a substitute. You had Billy Sharp, who was, I think he was joint top goal scorer of the championship, if not the top goal scorer. He didn't even start. So that could easily be frustrating for a player. And the concept that we push with submax is to be frustrated, but not let that frustration live. You know, and it's what you're gonna do after that. The moment you get told that you're not starting, how are you gonna to respond to that? How are you using your time on the bench to mentally prepare yourself to make that difference? And Billy Sharp, he said in his post-match interview, all I wanted to do was get on and, and make a difference. You know, and that's exactly what he did. It wasn't the cleanest effort, but his desire to, to make a difference led him to be in the right positions to get his poachers goal and he's off in the score sheet scoring in all four leagues so credit to him very impressed with that you had um, Christian Eriksen who came on on the 64th minute and was persistent when the team was losing as well to then change the game so I believe he got an assist he had a threatening free kick so a lot of chances came from him and from his influence I believe one of the corners may have come from him as well that led to the first goal from Ndombele so he came on and within nine minutes changed the game in terms of helping Tottenham score and they scored three goals after him coming on and what's most impressive as well Joel and you mentioned to me off air is that there was a lot of speculation with him leaving as well so you know there was opportunities for him to go to another club maybe his desire was to leave so he could have easily came on and, and been 
probably you know, a moody player essentially, not wanting to come on, not really wanting to perform for his team, but was very professional and made a difference. So he was a sub-maxer too. And then you had another player as well, both of um, Brighton strikers. So you had Andouane and, um, and the other gentleman from um, Brentford, I'm not too sure of his name, but they both came on, what was his name? Malpe. Malpe. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so Malpe came on and scored as well. So they were all sub-maxers as well. And sub-maxers don't always have to be strikers. They can be defenders and they can be goalkeepers too. You'll see a load of that throughout the season as well. And so what I usually do is do a sub-max of the week. So you can help me actually. So I've mentioned a few sub-maxes. And so if you will probably put a post up either on my page or even Field for Footballs, who do you think the sub-max of the weekend was? And we'll use these guys as contenders. You know, they've done pretty well in their, for their respective teams. But who would you crown the sub-max of the week? And then for all the players who are not getting game time, how can you change the narrative in your, at your club? So start thinking on that and I'll give you one bit of information. Speak to your coach. Don't sit down and not know why you're starting. Have an idea as to why and identify the criteria, the reasons um, for you not starting and what he's looking for from a player in your position. And then what do you do from training, Monday to Friday? You execute that criteria. Okay, let's move on from that. Now, one thing we want to do is make this as interactive as possible. So if you guys have any questions and queries, I already mentioned the goalkeeper incident. So if you have moments where you apply context, let us know. But also if you have any questions, you know, if you have things that maybe a pressing need, anything that you want to get a little bit more advice from us experts, from me as a psychologist, as from Joe, who is an expert from a former pro, but also very analytical in his work. You've got a number of guys as well that work on a fitness aspect. If you have any questions, do let us know and then we'll do our best to answer it in a way that can add value to you in your week. And every week we can just add value. And so recently we've had a few questions come in about um, communication. And so um, we want to talk about that. How can you be a, an effective communicator on the pitch? And so I'm going to leave this for Joe, who's come in today, to give us his expert um, perspective. And you've got something to, to mention in terms of how a player can be an effective communicator, right? Yeah. Okay, let me bring this mic, let me bring the phone a little bit closer so that you can be a little more clear on the mic. But yes, um, over to you. Yeah, so a big, a big area that we have to work on with players individually, um, professional all the way down to the grassroots behind the scenes, is on their leadership and their communication on the pitch with teammates. So this is something that we're, you know, we've really worked on this process before with a lot of players. Um, so the main place that I would start is different players are motivated by different words. So if you tell one player that he's playing terribly, it's going to put him into his intellectual player, motivating him and giving him the drive to improve. But if you said that same statement to another player, it's going to put him into his primitive brain, which means he'll resent the critics, he'll yeah. retreat into his shell. And on the flip side, you tell one player how great and wonderful he is, it gives him the desire to want to drive forward and become even better. But if you tell the same thing to another player, he sees it as permission to rest and take it easy. So it's important that you understand your teammates' personalities and you're able to react accordingly. So one method that you can use runs from praise into improvement. So uh, an example would be, uh, keep it going, you just need to get on the ball more. So that's a positive affirmation for that player while also offering the desired improvement in a nicer way. Now that method is great with quieter or more introverted players, but if a player isn't pulling their weight and is unlikely to respond to that method, you might find a berate and improved method to be more beneficial. So an example of that would be, um, you're not doing enough, you need to get on the ball more. So more for, for many players, this would be a completely acceptable form of feedback, 
and it tends to work better with the more confident, largely extrovert players, but not always. So saying that, you know, it's not always the best method for any te- type of player. And if you do have to berate a teammate for not doing something, there's usually an even better method. So that runs from berating into praising into improvement. So an example of that would be uh, you aren't seeing enough of the ball, but you're terrorising that fullback when you have it. So well done for that. You know, if you can move to see more of the ball, you're going to win this game for us. The common denominator in all of these scenarios is always the finish on an improvement. So um, that could also be considered as you offering them a solution. So by talking to players in this way, you're helping them to move into the solution-focused part of their brain where you're operating. So leading them by example, you're giving them instructions on how to improve, showing that they must have a desire to keep improving rather than being complacent, as well as giving them recognition for what they've done well. So all the best managers and captains roll with these type of statements and even even they can pick the wrong method at any given time. It's not something where you'll always say the right words. After all, it is heat of the moment in a game. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the better communicator and leader you can become on the pitch. And that's really pivotal. You know, we look at some of the best captains the Premier League's had. You know, this is what they would be, be doing. And some of it harsher, you know, people like Roy Keane would maybe go more to a, a berate method than other people um, but you have other captains like a, a Lenny King who would be straight into that praise mode but again it all depends on the players around them so certain players will need a slightly different talk um, so I'll take oh, actually I'll finish on a, a Sir Alex Ferguson quote um, something I really loved so um, I'll just go into that you don't get the best out of players by hitting them with an iron rod you do so by gaining their respect getting them accustomed to triumphs and convincing and convincing them that they are capable of improving their performance. I cannot think of any manager or captain that succeeded for any length of time by presiding over a reign of terror. It turns out that the two most powerful words in the English language are well done. And the reason that I really love that is it, it picks up on that improvement side. So from all of these areas, we're always finishing on that improvement. Even the great one, where it was you're not doing enough, you need to get on the ball more, we're finishing with an improvement. We're finishing with something tangible that the player can then go and do and uh, to go out there and actually improve. And over time, you're actually you're working with it. So you might have one player that you've been going through the berate improvement cycle, but then as you, you're going along, they're actually starting to listen. They're starting to do things for the team. They're starting to really perform and doing what you, you, you wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. Now you can start going back into the base side. And you, you know, it's all about taking those situations and, and learning what to do in any given place, but going through those kind of methods and using them with players. And, you know, it's, it's no surprise that you find that the best leaders and captains are the best talkers on the pitch. They're the best communicators. And these are the sort of methods that they're using. Right, and that quote was quite interesting coming from Ferguson. He would throw boots around in the in the um, changing rooms. But yeah, that's that's um that's that's valuable. And what I would then kind of mention from there as well is, as jo, um, Joe mentioned, you need to know what type of players you have and teammates. And that's not gonna come during the game. That's something that you have to realize and identify off the field. Would you? I'm sure you would agree. You know, it has to come from either training or even in social activities. And any coaches watching, I do encourage that. You know, you know your players, but there's not many ways that you can identify them. So there's some a number of ways where you can set some questionnaires that can identify what type of personality type you have. And then it's not necessarily just to do it for the sake of it. That's something that you can take and then apply that for your season. And then it gives you the ability to know how you should communicate with your players. Then you can also send that to your players as well. So you can send that to your players so they know as well. And that can really help boost cohesion, but then also 
then boost the ability to effectively communicate as well. So I, I, um, I think that's valuable information there and hopefully everyone got the details from that. But it is the best part, Sanchez, is the best part. You learn through experience. Yeah. So even if you make a mistake the first time, you do do that. I mean, you brought up Alex Ferguson. I assure you, after you threw that boot, he knew full well, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, he worked out that is not going to get the result that I want for my players. And we're all capable of making a mistake with it, especially mm -hmm. when we're trying to work out what's going to work best for the, the player at hand who we're trying to communicate with. But the more you do it, the more you get used to it, the more you learn the sorts of players that react and, and how they're going to react to each different statement that you're using. But yeah. that is the best thing about it. You are going to learn as you go and as you keep experiencing it and as you keep communicating. Absolutely. And Joe, thank you for your time. You didn't have to sit here for, I don't even know how long, to speak with us, but I appreciate that once again. And um, we look forward to more. And what I want to do just to kind of to conclude with really is that we want to make this as interactive as possible because it's the first one it can't be as interactive you know but now that you've seen this now that you've got the information and you see that you know the style that we're coming with we're coming with recent events that things that have happened we're not going to see every single game in england we're not going to see every game in europe so if you saw anything bring it to our attention message field football message myself on whatever you might see that might go on in, um, in football and maybe we can in integrate that do um, let us know on some of the questions that you do have. So if you have any, just let us know once again, and then we can add that into here and make sure that you get the best possible value in this time, because we're only doing it to add value. So if we can add more value from what you demand from us, then we can put that out there. And also let us know who you think the submaxer is as well. You helped me to identify who the best is amongst the general um, public. Once again, thank you for your time. Thank you for viewing. Do check us out. Do all the like and subscribe stuff, left and right and whatnot. Um, it's, it's a new podcast. Do let us know what you think. And once again, we'll see you in the next week. Joe, thanks again for your time as well, my man. Absolutely no problem. All right, take care, guys.